Welcome to Employee of the Month. Here's your host, Katie Lazarus. Hi, welcome back to Employee of the Month show. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus, and I am in Los Angeles out here hoping to get staffed for what's called pilot season. It's really the tail end um, when TV writers hope to get on either new pilots or find spots on existing shows where others have jumped ship. And that is why it is a perfect episode because I have on the lovely and talented Allison Silverman. She has written for, I think, the most incredible shows in recent history. So she was most recently writing for The Office. Before that, she wrote for Portlandia. Before that, she was the head writer on The Colbert Report. And before that, she wrote for The Daily Show and Conan O'Brien. Lovely, talented, so funny. Maybe she's not good at playing the triangle. I'm not really sure what what she doesn't excel at in life, but um, she's super funny. This episode was recorded live at Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in Los Angeles. So without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Ms. Silverman. Allison, so excited to have you. Is there anyone here who has not seen at least one of those shows? What, what a way to get a round of applause going, huh? <laughs> what about, like, in your off time, you've written for The New Yorker and This American Life and The New York Times, and on your on time, you've written for every major critically acclaimed fun show that's also popular. Like, do you have, you have no duds? Like, you have nothing that was, like, you shouldn't have done? Uh, okay. No, I mean, I, I, I certainly... <laughs> I, wrote a pil- I wrote a pilot that, didn't, that NBC passed on. That's great. And That's good I worked on a pilot for HBO that uh, HBO decided not to do. Which but that I was like with that Spike Jones and John Hodgman? Yeah, that, yeah. That doesn't count as a dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's, like, That's like we all hope just to have that one thing. <laughs> what did happen to that pilot? Uh, well, it, would, it was for uh, a weekly talk show that Hodgman would host, and it was very cool and would have been a, a super great you know, weekly show that took three months to edit, uh, basically. It was really fantastic, but they, I don't know, I mean, like, the post just took forever, you know? It just, there was no way to really... Were you using Macs? Did you ask him if he could get you some free Macs? We needed some Macs. No, it really did. Why did it take so long to do? Well, it was really interesting. Like, that, um, a a lot of, we wound up kind of using the live show as a jumping-off point for, like, telling other stories, like things that would happen during the interview, um, you know, something happens between you and I, and then that makes John think of something else, and we go and produce something based on that and integrate it into the show, and then part of the show actually took place in the editing bay as we would watch the edit and remark on things that, that happened. So it was very cool, but it just, the idea of doing that once a week is, you know, it's not really viable. Um, for HBO or for you guys? Because it sounds more like a Judd Apatow type of that you're just going to do everything and then we'll edit it down. Is that what you're saying or no? Uh, well, if you're if you're trying to do a show every week and you're building the show based on kind of based on what happened live one week and you have to sort of create the stuff. Oh, now based I get it. That. Okay, not yeah. the sharpest tool in the shed. Okay, now I got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I'm up to speed now. I think that's part of. I mean, we just didn't realize how much on the post end there was going to be. I don't know. I don't know HBO's rationale, but that was something that I saw that. I thought was a uh, an issue, but it was you know it was great. I, I to met make, uh, one of the Jets, uh, not West Side Story, but New York Jets. <laughs> <laughs> Which one was that? Uh, Nick Mangold, Mangold. He is, and he is, he oh is a gold of a man. He, yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's unbelievable. Long flowing locks and a beard, and like a adorable tiny wife and Jewish. <laughs> Absolutely, I think okay, so. Okay, Tennessee it. Jewish. <laughs> Not that it matters. When you um, when you 
when you first became um, a staff writer, were you nervous that like you wouldn't get the joke because all of these guys are all from Harvard? Well, so there was a. Uh, was that I'm hard not to entirely fit in? sure this is true, but when I started a Daily Show, there was a rumor that the former head writer, before I had been there, uh, would burn the resumes of people from Harvard. Oh, I love this person. How do, um, how do I get his number? That's great. Uh, it was a she. In fact. She. Excuse me. I'm um, just sexist. See, there we go. So, but once I started, there were there were two guys from Harvard uh, and a lot of people from other places. And, so other like Princeton and Yale? No, no. I, I mean, there are there are. I don't know all the colleges that that people went to, but it was it was not like that, to be honest. Okay. Um, yeah, it wasn't like that. It, w- it really wasn't like that. I don't know. No, I really don't think it was. I mean, there were Dan and Charlie from Harvard, and I went to Yale. Um, yeah, but I'm I really see, think I'm seeing the were diversity the just as you speak. <laughs> <laughs> I'm catching on to it. Um, I always like to say, like, God, if I had known I'd gone to Harvard, that I would, like, get a job writing for TV, but I still wouldn't have gotten in. But I like to pretend that, oh, if I'd only known it. Um, You are phenomenal at writing in someone's voice, you know, having to write for all of these shows. How do you make sure that you're writing in their voice, but also at the same time, like, just enough adding your own element that they're like, we have to have Allison? Uh... That's an interesting question. Like, I think that I actually think that, like, in the case of Colbert, we were sort of developing. I was there when we were developing the show, kind of. So I, so uh, we were all creating that character together. So it didn't really uh, come in uh, to play so much. And with uh, Conan, um, we got to do a lot of you know actors and character work. So I don't, I don't really know that. I don't know that I have an answer for that. I don't know that I've ever convinced someone like it must be Silverman. But can they <laughs> can they look at can you or can you read the work and be like I know that I did that joke and I know that so and so did this joke? Oh yeah, um, yeah, I absolutely can. Like I, I feel like it, it mostly involves like how sort of crafty it is. Like I think some people really, really like to write very tight. They're really crafting the words, and other people like to sort of make it feel more loose. A lot of times it's that, or there's one writer who just writes about tech stuff constantly. His jokes always wind up being about technology in one way or another. You know, definitely you can see those things. And does that does that end up like becoming part of that person's character? I guess if they're good enough jokes, then it becomes like then Stephen suddenly is really into technology. Uh, yeah, definitely. You can have a couple of things that you sort of take a chance on, and then it becomes part of like the character bible. You know, and then all right, he has you know. He has an undocumented worker who stands in his parking place every day, you know, and that's that's just his deal, you know. <laughs> I uh, this is my my I didn't finish my doctor, but this is my theory that stand-ups weren't loved enough by their parents, and improv comedians were loved a little too much. <laughs> Did you see a difference in your bosses depending on which which world they came from, stand-up versus improv? That's interesting. So I don't. I'm thinking like, okay, I would say John, John Stewart was a stand-up, but Colbert was an improv person, Conan was a writer. Um, I don't really consider, I mean, he's done both, I guess. Um, and, but he, and he went to? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He went to that school. Yeah, I know, I um, with John and Stephen, I think, I don't know, you may be on to something. I know that Stephen has uh, extraordinary, like, good stories about, you know, his parents and his very loving, huge, like, there are, yeah, a dozen, almost a dozen children or were, you know. And he, it's crazy. he um, said about, Stephen Colbert said about you that your Achilles heel is your humanity. And I thought that was, <laughs> I thought it was interesting. I mean, <laughs> as, as a sensitive soul, I imagine like you need a little empathy to be able to write comedy, but that's obviously not the case. Or are most people not humane? Well, you know, I remember him saying that and feeling the same thing that I felt in, co- I was in a college improv group. And we would go on tour and these like terrible things would happen. You know, the guys would like, 
get in these huge fights and someone's head would get slammed against a file cab. Like it was very, it got kind of violent. Wait, I'm, so, I'm like, it's like my head is gonna explode because I can't imagine these sort of like not very muscular men <laughs> smashing each other. I mean, men is already it was just a stretch. Like, there was a point. lot of, the, yeah, there were sort of various kinds of um, emotional and sometimes physical violence going on in this improv group. Is that because uh, all of them are virgins or something? I don't understand where the... the well, you know, like, I mean, I don't think, like... I don't, I it don't wasn't, um, I don't think that it was doing any major harm, but people are in college. Most of them were guys. They had a lot of aggression. There was a lot of, occasionally, a lot of homoerotic stuff going on, it seemed like. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, what I remember uh, was that... <laughs> let me just get back to the humanity <laughs> point. <laughs> was that... I, uh, my friend Austin was a freshman and he got his head slammed in this file cabinet. Like, it was an accident, but you know, sort of a, <laughs> at any rate. And I was sitting outside with him because he was upset and I just said, you know, I hope, you know, I said something like, I hope you're okay. Those guys are being jerks or whatever. And he said, thank you. You're the most human of all of them. <laughs> and went through my mind was, oh no, he thinks I'm not funny. <laughs> right, right, right. No, it's true. Someone says, oh, she's so nice. I'd yeah, like, you're just oh. like, oh, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, right? That's terrible. But I don't think, you know, as I get older, I think that that is absolutely not the case uh, at all. Um, you know, obviously, the more sort of truth and like emotion you can get, I think it can be much, much funnier. But there is certain, certainly like a classic kind of brutal comedy as well. Steve McAuliffe seems so nice from the, the outside world, mm -hmm. and I just didn't know, how did you leave that job? You were the first executive producer and writer where you just burnt out? Mm. Yeah, I was really, really burnt out. I mean, it, it was, we sort of built this show when we had a tremendous amount of energy, and then we did it daily for four years, and we didn't, we tried a lot of ways, but uh, I think that, at least I didn't find a way to make it uh, use less energy. And it was really, really hard, and I also, you know, it was a great challenge every day, but it started to be the same challenge. And I have a, I get bored of things very, very quickly, like much too quickly. I leave places too soon because I get bored. Well, I mean, most people don't have the advantage of being in the positions you are, but that said, once you are, it's very important to know when to leave. And I'm so impressed that you've been able to leave your jobs and your former bosses love you. I mean, you ha you, you're a word on the Colbert Report. Yeah. Allison, <laughs> exclamation right. point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And the word is actually the part of that show that probably sent me off. <laughs> <In> <laughs> it was place? so brutal writing that. It was very, very hard. Because you had to write two sides of the argument? Yeah, it was very, um, I mean, I loved doing it. It became sort of my baby, um, kind of. Uh, but it was excruciating hard. Because like, we would really try to sort of create an argument that we believed in. And, and then you're writing both sides. And it, you know, it's ha very tough. How did you know when to leave? Because I think that is an important thing for people in their jobs of not, not knowing when to go when you don't know what else is going to happen. You don't know if the next yeah. show is going to work out. You don't know if you're going to get fired the next yeah. day. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I, I, uh, this is not going to be news to anyone, but like, I, I don't want to be the person who's been there so long that they hate everything they used to love. You know, I just never wanted to be there and, and start resenting a place. That's how I feel about The Shed. <laughs> <laughs> Totally get it. Yeah. Um, as your career flourishes, and I think this is very common in comedy in particular, some people's careers take off, some people have probably eclipsed you, and other people haven't quite made it. Does it put a strain in the relationships where people are at different points in their careers later? Does that make sense? 
I, I understand the question. I don't think that it. I don't think it has affected my yeah. friendships, to be honest. You'll yeah. still allow Julian Assange to stay on your. Is that true that Julian Assange <laughs> stayed on the couch of a friend of yours? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a friend of mine. Well, so I, I couldn't get rid of him. I should add. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I have a friend who is. I used to sit in front of him in Hebrew school because we in were seated Julian alphabetically. No. no, no, not let the friend. <laughs> we were seated alphabetically, and his last name was Silverstein, and he grew up to be the very first employee that uh, Sergey and Larry at Google hired. Oh, he wow. is Google employee number one. Your friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. Talk about eclipsing. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. He could buy the moon. That's why he's thinking of eclipses. Um, but um, he, so he's like very, he's wonderfully sort of just exactly what you want. He's like super into Sesame Street and the Muppets, and he's like that strange sort of childlike genius. And uh, we were out hanging out one night, and he sort of just mentioned that Julius Assange, you know, crashed on his couch and wouldn't leave, and was very, uh, very annoying and terrible. <laughs> Reinforcing what we already know, but it's oh, like yeah. nice to have this like window into. I saw in in Dwell magazine this beautiful pictures of your gorgeous um, loft in Williamsburg and that you guys had shipped in um, from Vermont. You had shipped in diseased wood to make your dining room table. <laughs> and I just, I saw this and I was like, oh my God, like Portlandia is like a really personal show for you. Yeah. Um, Do you want some kale chips? I have some, <laughs> if you need. I have a Park Slope sure. co-op bag. I'll take them a little bit, thank you. Well, um, I live in fear of the Park Slope co-op. Still, I'm uh, half. I'm across oh the God, country, and I'm still scared. scared. <laughs> I've been suspended for a while. Uh, my husband is uh, he's suspended? a set designer. Okay. Um, so the house is. I mean, the apartment is really great because he designed it. You don't but have to eat had, those. No, no, I'm gonna try it. Oh. I haven't tried one before. But um, he, uh, uh, yeah. At any rate, uh, it wasn't diseased wood. It was scraps because we're trying to, you know keep the resources that we used in the house and not waste anything, like the buffalo. For the record, in Dwell Magazine, it says diseased wood. Specifically, it says diseased wood. <laughs> really? If you can get, the, the, there's a beautiful photo montage. I thought your farm was very clean, too. Who cleans the house? Oh, we did. We did. Um, yeah, no, great. Portlandia was such like, yeah. I mean, living in Brooklyn, it's, it's basically, obviously, Portland of the East. Um, I kind of, I wanted to hear, like, <laughs> how did you, how did you, how did that job come about? Because that, mm. I mean, I guess, yeah, <laughs> that's how I mm. felt too. Should we share them with the mm. audience? Does anyone want some? They're very, they're kind of oddly garlicky. Guys, these are $11, okay? Someone should want these. <laughs> Throwing these out. I don't know. <laughs> Eat up. <laughs> Um, how, how did Portlandia land about as, as a, uh, a job opportunity? I, uh, that pilot that NBC passed on mm -hmm. was with Broadway Video, Lorne Michaels' company, and um, I used to see Fred Armisen around New York every now and then. I'm not entirely sure how it happened, to be honest, but I think that I was sort of on their minds because I had written this pilot and I sort of knew Fred, and that's, that's how it happened. I mean, it was, you know, very small operation at the start, so they just kind of were like, oh yeah, you'd be There are only two people right for it, right? You and Kissel, or no? Uh, Chrysol. Chrysol, um, I apologize. Fred and Carrie and uh, Chrysol and me, yeah. Okay, they, I mean, loved, they must have loved your pilot. 
I, I guess they like my pilot. But I mean, again, like they, you know, something in retrospect seems like, oh, you know, how did that happen? But yes. it seemed like this very small thing at the time. It was just like, oh, we're going to try this project, you know? Did they ever come over and, and eat at the diseased wood table? You <laughs> no, they helped? did not. <laughs> they did not. But did it happen? No. We uh, only let lumberjacks eat at that table. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to show some, some pictures that you have. Jimmy, can we show the, the, the photos really quick? I wanted to hear a little bit about these. <laughs> this uh, is a Conan, a Conan party? Yeah, yeah. So this is my going away party from uh, Conan. And they did this thing, which I sort of love. Uh, you can see on the screen there, uh, it's part of this sketch that I made. It was amazing at Conan, you know. You could just create these sketches, and all of a sudden, they'd have amazing makeup people and set design people. And I wrote this sketch that made no sense. And we produced it, and it was called fondue wormhole. That's how <laughs> insane it was. But we went ahead and produced it, and it, it was just, they put it on a loop at my party to make me uncomfortable. <laughs> I uh, now, I'm, now I'm understanding before when we were talking about the humanity. <laughs> Next slide, really quick. We just have a couple pictures. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Well, so this is when I <laughs> bitten by a dog in the writing room at Portlandia. <laughs> <laughs> It was a rescue dog. You know how you want to especially love rescue dogs? There's this thing where like, I want to love you, rescue dog, and they're a rescue dog. <laughs> so it bit me. <laughs> but I think I gave this to you because I was, what made me laugh about this moment is that I remember it happening and like, I mean, there was just blood going down my cheek and me being like, you guys, it's fine. Let's just keep pitching. Let's just keep pitching. <laughs> Do you have workers comp? Uh, that I did file for workers comp for that. Good. Yeah. Any. <laughs> Uh, right, so Colbert, we went to uh, we went to Iraq. So this is on the way there. You have a private jet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like a slinky. whole different viewpoint of the war. <laughs> and then then the next slide. What was this? Right, so uh, I really love this. This we were staying at uh, an estate of Saddam Hussein's that now you know U.S. troops were at, and uh, this was a lake that was a man-made lake that Saddam had stocked with fish. I think they were cod, but he was very, very proud of these fish. And the troops, after breakfast, would throw cocoa puffs to the fish, which I really loved. I love this idea of like just how much it would pain Saddam to know that his fish <laughs> eat cocoa puffs now. I seriously, he's giving them obesity. I feel like Bloomberg would be really upset too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's amazing. So I. You're this phenomenal writer, and I really wish we had more time, but I did want to talk about one thing. I read your first piece of writing. Oh, oh, yes, we do have one more. This is the, the Portlandia. Right, yeah, no, I think I, I, I sent this photo along just because I, I feel like this is a thing that happens all the time now where you take photos of the board so you can go and work on it, and where people are constantly taking photos of boards. I love this. So these are all the ideas you guys just put up. I see put a these bird were, on it. Um, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, these were our uh, episodes. So it, this was, like, probably... A quarter of the board, it would go down much farther. But and that's anyway. how you said you you first go over ideas and you guys stick them to this board. We would stick a lot of them on a on another board, just sort of randomly, and then we were starting to look at like how do we want to structure the show and what pieces we wanted to put in which episode and stuff. Yeah, I'm gonna go home and put boards on my wall so I feel part of the show. Yeah, this is great. No. This is really neat, though. I remember some of those episodes. I did read your first part of, of writing, and because I know you had, were working yeah. towards being a scientist. Um, and I, I, maybe the jokes went over my head, but association of 70 kilodalton heat shock cognate proteins with acclimation to cold, 
I don't, I miss the joke. <laughs> There's some funny, like, <laughs> centrifuge is, I guess, a funny word, and yeah. supernatant. Well, you gotta see it, because the centrifuge goes boom, 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 boom. It's like, it's actually really funny. if you, It's a visual piece. <laughs> I, just in case, I, I have good feelings that your career is going to continue to flourish, but just in case you end up going into biology. I, Michelle, if we were going to see, you, you were studying plants and what happens mm-hmm. if they get cold. That's right. So <laughs> Michelle was going to put some ice on it and you tell us what's happening now. What's happening to the plant? What's happening? Okay. Allison, what's happening? Well, this is a cheap plant. <laughs> and uh, what's happening probably is that in its genome, gosh, I don't remember how this works. I never knew. Let's be honest. I never knew. Um, but uh, it as time would go on, if this was happening for a week, it would become tolerant to the cold because of certain genes that are in its... Well, honestly, we already believed you. <laughs> we already believed you, and we know that you're going to have a great comedy career, so it's okay. But, but would you like to take this home, the cheap Sure, okay, sure. Good. Allison Silverman, thank you so, so much for being here. She'll be back for the award. That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month show. You can actually hear the full live show episode. It's the first one where we're releasing the full-on live show where you can hear this interview with Allison Silverman as well as from our wonderful house band, Common Rotation, and the incredibly talented and wonderful hero, Buck Henry, uh, who wrote To Die For, The Graduate, and many, many more films and has also appeared on Saturday Night Live ten times and is a phenomenal thespian in his own right, in addition to being a comic genius. So definitely check out that full-on episode. And thank you so much to everyone here at Employee of the Month. Wants to say thank you to all of you for listening, especially Lady Parts, who is snoring. You can't hear her snoring, but she is. It's not just in my mind. I'm not going batty. Okay, so right now she's technically not snoring, but she was right before I recorded this, and I know it's going to happen right after I say goodbye. Five. Four, three, come on, so worth it, audience. Did you hear that? Did you guys hear that?